Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Commander's Palace and Out to Lunch, the show about New Orleans business. One of the changes in the business climate here in New Orleans has been our evolution into what's come to be known as Hollywood South. For most locals, being one of the country's favorite locations to shoot movies is like being the country's favorite location for tourists who like to drink cocktails on the street and wander blindly into traffic. Uh, You just put up with it. Driving around the city, you turn down a street you've been down a million times before, only this time you can't park because the street is entirely lined with giant trucks. They're filming. If you look at those giant film trucks, you'll see most of them have Hollywood trucks emblazoned on them. These are, in fact, not trucks from Hollywood. They belong to a local company that Inc. Magazine has named as one of the fastest-growing companies in North America. The founder and CEO of New Orleans' success story, Hollywood Trucks, is Andre Champagne. Andre, thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you are a young guy. We can't see that on radio. But uh, they, <laughs> they're, uh, he graduated from LSU in 2002 in kinesiology. I think I used to know what that is. What is that? Uh, it's a study of human movement and biomechanics. Oh, well, that, that must come into play in the trucks. Uh, maybe, not, maybe not. Maybe not. But <laughs> well, uh, it's good to know you have that yeah. background, though. There's Logistics. Uh, <laughs> Before we were producing movies in New Orleans, we were famous for producing festivals. And I could literally spend the rest of the show naming all the festivals you could go to in the New Orleans area between now and the end of the year. And we keep producing new ones. Two of the newest that have made the biggest impression on festival goers are Hangout Fest and Buku Fest. Buku was two days of sold-out shows in March. And Hangout with Stevie Wonder, Tom Petty, and others was an even bigger extravaganza in May. The company behind these festivals and others is Hookah Entertainment. Now, one of the partners in Hookah, A.J. Nyland, is my other lunch guest today. A.J., uh, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me. And both my sons were at Buku, and I know that was a, that was a, big, uh, a big success. The, uh, what, what's driving the, the festivals? I mean, you hear about it's tougher for musicians to make money these days, and they're on tour more. Is that part of it? Or? Yeah, well, over the last decade, recorded music is down 50% in terms of revenues, but uh, the festivals uh, and the live music experience is up almost 400%. So um, it's not really overtaking or making up for the uh, recorded music industry right now, but just the value... Uh, that fans are getting in the experience seems to be what's driving the growth. Wow. And I noticed different festivals have different, uh, well, different target markets. For instance, when I picked up my son at Buku, that was a younger, I guess it was electronic and hip-hop. And, and uh, the other, the Hangout Festival looked like something I might go to, though. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a little bit uh, skewed toward an older demographic, and yeah. it's uh, you know it's sort of our boutique concept which we're pushing. So you get sort of the the big seventy, eighty thousand cap festival experience in a smaller crowd, and um, it's it's meant for those who uh, who aren't necessarily looking for the camping experience or or roughing it, so to speak. They want to stay in a condo and enjoy a nice setting, so yeah. it tends to draw an older demographic. I was only 12 at Woodstock, but I did, I did not go, but it's, that's <laughs> what, if I had gone. The, now, Andre, Hollywood trucks might be the best uh, example of the economic impact of the film business in Louisiana. You've 
only been around since 2007, and you're already, and this is amazing, the 15th biggest logistic and transportation company in the country. As I mentioned, Inc. Magazine lists you as one of the fastest-growing companies in all of America, and you have plans to expand nationally and globally, including into Hollywood itself and uh, China. Now, Andre, we've been driving trucks and making movies in the U.S. since the early 1900s, so tell us straight up, what do you know about trucking and filmmaking that's rocketed you into this incredibly successful position? Well, first of all, we're fortunate for that. Uh, that's occurred with a great team. Um, I think the thing that we, when we took a, a, a thought at, with Hollywood Trucks, it was first created as obviously a logistics transportation company. So I want to give credit to Louisiana Economic Development that incentivized the pro our program that we're under. So motion pictures, the amount of motion pictures, television, commercials, all of these things that are now taking place in our state were the direct result of an incentive package that was, began in 2002 but was aggressively moved up in 2008, well, 9, and 10. You aggressively moved yeah. up. What, was it, what are the numbers there? Well, it began in, in, at 2002 at 10%, and then to, between 2008, 9, and 10, it moved all the way to 30% with an additional 5% on in-state payroll, so an aggregate you know, 35% if you're utilizing in-state employment, which is highly aggressive. Uh, it allows filmmakers to make motion pictures and television and commercials that they're not normally able to because now you're offsetting the budget by Again, 30%, which is substantial in, in any margin of any business. And so this all hit at the same time you were graduating from LSU, and you, uh, you're a guy from Napoleonville. You thought yeah. of going back into the sugarcane business, and then you <laughs> said, uh, what, what did you do after graduation that got you into all this? Well, the long and short, I graduated 2002, and I was, always had an interest in the entertainment industry. And at that time, it really wasn't around in Louisiana. You had a couple of notable names like Steven Soderbergh and some of these other guys, but... I decided to buy a little car and drive out west, didn't really know anyone, and, and go give it a shot. And if it didn't work out, I was going to come back and obviously work in one of the uh, different uh, normal areas in, in Louisiana. But I really wanted to go and see what was on the west coast. So I moved out there and began working as an intern and executive assistant and second executive assistant for different individuals and professionals and really got to learn the business side of it from the actual contracts from what was being drafted what was being done i got to see the physical and tangible documents which gave me a, a an insight into that um, part of the industry that i was just enamored with i never really expected to be to come back to the hometown to have uh, a massive industry formed from them. So I came back down and took a risk. I was really enjoying life in California and moving through. I wanted to run a studio, and so I was moving through those ranks. But when I saw this vanguard opportunity, I, just, I could not turn it down. I knew there's very rare times, if ever again in my life, there would be this opportunity. So I came back, brought a film with, with me down, and, uh, and started, started making movies here. But at that time, there was no infrastructure. So we had a fantastic program, but we weren't really able to utilize it at full capacity because there was nothing here. Everything's garnered, or the credits are garnered by in-state spend. So at that time, 2007, it was in such an embryonic stage that you weren't able to utilize it. So one of the things that, I knew nothing about transportation, to be frank. I knew it was a substantial line item. And so looking at it, I just, 
said, well, if I'm going to invest in something or take out a loan or ask my friends and family to invest in something, I would make it an asset that I could move in case anything moved and bought seven trucks. So and you that, weren't at a party like in the, the pool scene in The Graduate where somebody whispered in your ear, trucks? No. That wasn't uh, okay. That <laughs> now, AJ, I think it's probably fair to say that most people in New Orleans, even if they're under 30 and know about Buku and Hangout Fest, uh, may not know the name Hookah Entertainment. But besides being the producers of those two hugely successful festivals, you've also produced, among other events, the halftime shows at the Super Bowl, uh, the Rolling Stones tour, and you recently joined forces with SFX, the original driving force behind the country's biggest live uh, music event company. I might add that on a personal aside, we've been trying to book you for out to lunch for months, and you have an impossibly hectic schedule. how hands-on are you personally in putting together these, these amazing events? Well, uh, travel is a, is a huge requirement in what we do. Um, and uh, developing festivals takes a lot of on-time and, and on-the-ground uh, hands-on work. So um, as we uh, keep expanding, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to take this boutique model to other areas of the country, which uh, markets which need festivals. You know, it seems to be a plethora in New Orleans but uh, you go to places like uh, Denver and Phoenix and, and yeah, L.A. Festival even, and they're festival <laughs> deserts, so to speak. Um, the biggest thing that we're really focused on right now is, is sort of this boom. We're, we're in the midst of a festival boom uh, in, in the United States. We're sort of catching up with Europe, um, which you know, for decades has been uh, you know, sort of leading the charge in the festival experience. So, uh, so yeah, the hectic schedule is due to uh, quite a bit of travel and, uh, and on the ground. So. And when I think of things like, uh, you know, the one you're doing uh, on the Gulf Coast, uh, you know, that had, there was a, the drive behind that was uh, actually was kind of a fundraiser for the, the oil spill. Was that? Uh well, sort of, yeah. We, we actually uh, were regional concert promoters just doing your standard club, theater, and arena stuff um, through uh, the early 2000s. As we hit sort of 2005, we were looking all over the country for a spot to do a unique festival, this boutique model that we had sort of created and thought up you know my partner and I we were festival kids sort of growing up in the Bonnaroo and sort of the new festival boom so to speak and um, we'd kind of grown tired of the camping and, and sort of the uh, the hectic nature that it takes to uh, to invest time to getting to a festival and sort of uh, you know making it through that experience and we wanted something that was a little bit easier a little bit more accessible so um, we started going after this boutique model we were looking all over the country and we just happened to end up really in our backyard in Gulf Shores Alabama and found a, a location that was unique enough that we felt hadn't been tapped in the festival world, and that was doing a major festival on a beach. And, um, you know, just so happens we launched it in, uh, in November 2009 for a festival in May 2010, and 40 days out from the event, the oil spill happened, uh, the Deepwater <laughs> Horizon spill. So, you know, it was, it was one of those uh, lessons learned and learning experience. You can plan for a lot, but that's not one of the things that you're planning for in your performa in terms of uh, potential uh, pitfall. But um, we rallied and we were able to sort of garner a lot of attention and support by turning that event into a, uh, a benefit for the coast. And um, subsequently thereafter, um, there was a big boost in the uh, tourism during that weekend after it kind of died off because of the perception of the spill. And at that time, the oil hadn't even reached the coast. So, you know, we were sort of stuck in this media limbo, so to speak, and it was affecting us financially uh, with the sales of the event. So um, once there was that boost and the weekend survived, uh, the state of Alabama came back to us and asked if we could recreate that multiple times over the rest of the summer to sort of... uh, 
uh, create a false uh, tourism season to, to hope sa you know save <laughs> yeah. the economy. And um, and we obliged, and, and we were able to bring in Jimmy Buffett and Friends, which was a nationally televised event, uh, which was successfully done. Uh, followed that up in the fall with two other big shows, and. Um, there was a big economic impact for the community, but it also put a, a big spotlight on what we were doing on the coast and allowed us to sort of extend the brand and build it a bit. Now it's going to be time to check our inbox, and that's where our producer picks a question that's come in from a listener uh, over the past week. Grant, what have you got? Peter, we have two questions, one for each of our guests. Both of these came on our Facebook page. This one is for AJ. It's from Andy Horstmeyer, and he asks, can live streaming of music concerts over the Internet be successfully monetized? That's uh, that's the big question right now. Um, you know, it, it's the recorded content is is not being monetized very properly right now. It's accessible, very accessible, um, and and obviously that's uh, that's kind of been its downfall. Um, but at the same token, uh, you know, the record business is very cyclical. And if you look back in, in the history of the recorded music industry, um, you know, it's kind of gone through these same time frame or these same, uh, these same pitfalls. There was actually a, a period in time when the, re the Recording uh, Academy tried to argue uh, to ban music from being played on radio because they figured that if it was, if it was available for free that people wouldn't patronize it. So, um, you know, this is sort of a similar time frame right now where the recorded music isn't so much about the experience of listening to it uh, in your room anymore or on the go. That's, that's just how you're discovering music again. And it's, it's sort of taken the form of, of radio. Um, the blogs, the, the download programs, even iTunes are really a place to discover music now. Um, and uh, the, live, uh, the live side is, is sort of the, uh, the, the area of the business that can't be um, sort of freely shared without participating in it actively. And then, of course the production value is terrific. I was there for the uh, last few shows of the Radiators at Tipitina's and then saw the production. It was, it was great. So it's a matter of figuring out a way to get paid for it, right? This Absolutely. <laughs> okay, uh, here's a question for you, Andre. From Stan Gill, he asks, what are the top three infrastructures lacking or open for business expansion in Hollywood South? Wow, he's trying to get some of those business ideas. <laughs> you know, um, give him three not good ones. Is it? Well, uh, again, as as the industry continues to mature, it's just like when you when you drive around Hollywood, you see so many even small niche companies that that only service really small respective areas. So, if I were going to say the top three that uh, in our state right now that are quote lacking. Um, or could be enhanced. Uh, first of all, it's, it's talent development. It's at the collegiate level. Uh, at the end of the day, when you create an incentive program, you're trying to create it to create taxpayers. So if you can stop the, the nomadic movement of students out of the state and keep them here in jobs, so I would say it, definitely creating film programs and enhanced ones such as USC's program, NY, uh, the Tisch program, some of these areas. So education would be one that I think the, the universities, and, and as I speak to them all the time, it's, uh, you know, enhance, it's not just the undergraduate degrees, it's law degrees. For instance, in entertainment law would be one right there that uh, I'd say is a wide open uh, area for development. Um, two and three would be the the continued uh, movement of companies that support the industry. So uh, that could be production companies. I think 
indigenous production companies is another area that you you either have um, talent from Louisiana beginning their own projects and the, I mean obviously you've got the success of Beast of the Southern Wild and the Court 13 guys were fantastic and they were such a, a great model for Louisiana but more and more production companies beginning more more private equity coming into it I mean at one point in time investing into a film was something that I think was a lot more risky than it is now now when you've got a program that guarantees you a 30% return to begin with and you can also add into that foreign sales and minimum guarantees and some of these other unique financing scenarios, it can be a very successful uh, and highly profitable venture. So I would say uh, indigenous production companies. And on a third aspect, I would say the continued development of technologies. AJ's talking about some of these particular things that can monetize, um, for instance, music and uh, film and television. We deal with the exact same areas right now that AJ's dealing with in music. Film's going through that as well. Distribution methods and how are those things evolving? I mean, the uh, theatrical distribution now isn't the primary place where everyone looks. It's how do you get some particular product to all of these users? So whether it's being able to distribute a film over Twitter or any of those things, I think those are things that uh, I would look into if it was myself, or I would invest into if I was, quote, in venture capital right now. And, uh, you know, speaking of that, I, I, you're a guy with a lot of different ideas, I think both of you, so I think there's a, this wasn't a random question. We're going to take a look at our lunch money. Uh, lunch money is our out-to-lunch stock portfolio, and, of course, each week we ask the guests for a stock pick. Uh, the, the market has been uh, just just awesome. I mean, this has been the best rally since World War II. The market continues to go up. There's some concern about the Fed uh, easing away from this, uh, this easy money policy that they've had, but investors seem to, seem to like it, and we're continuing to go forward. Let me ask you, um, I'll start with, um, well, I'll start with you, Andre. We, we talked a little before the show. What stock are you going to give us to put in the portfolio? I would like to pick the Carlyle Group, which is a really diversified portfolio of venture capital and uh, I, I've I've been watching them as of late, and they've they're not only introdu introducing new and unique ideas for a, a, a venture capital group. Their portfolio is so it's manifold in, in their investments, and and I'm intrigued by that. The, uh, so that the Carlisle Group is the one that I would I would continue to watch and look at as they they are just they're substantial in their respective area right now, but I think they're only going to continue to grow on a, on a significant magnitude. Well, that's in private equity, uh, venture capital, and their public company, the ticker symbol's uh, CG, and it yes. trades around uh, in the mid-20s. Mid uh, AJ, what stock did you bring for us? Uh, I actually uh, chose one that uh, is traditionally considered a rather risky uh, industry, but uh, I chose Delta Airlines. Wow, uh, all right. And I chose Delta because of uh, how much I fly them personally. <laughs> uh, also because we, we produce a lot of destination events and, and uh, you know, public transportation in general is sort of our pipeline to receive our fans and our consumers. Do you work with an airline to um, offer a package? We do our best, yeah. We, we're, we're very uh, heavily into sort of the uh, complete user and soup to nuts experience and, and that starts uh, when you leave your door. And we, we try our best to offer services uh, sort of uh, from door to door, if you will. Um, but uh, Delta recently is, uh, you know, it's been performing fairly well. It's, it's, you know, the fastest growing U.S. airline. 
Um, they're dominating uh, transatlantic uh, destinations. They actually offer more destinations than anyone else right now. They've been performing well financially, been posting uh, higher earnings than expected, and they've been paying dividends, and, uh, and it's sort of seemed to stabilize as of recent. You probably enjoy the onboard internet, as Absolutely. I do as well. Oh, oh yeah. That's, like a, that's a business tool. Interestingly uh, enough, Delta was founded in Louisiana. That's right up in Monroe. It was yep. a crop dusting yes. company. Yes. We should not have let them go. <laughs> there was a, they turned out to be a good one. Yeah. That's a DAL on the uh, New York Stock Exchange. One thing, you probably both fly a lot like myself. It, every seat is filled on the plane now. So I keep thinking to myself, unless something's really wrong, they should be making money. There's they, uh, Now, AJ Nyland, Andre Champagne, films and festivals are the two biggest strands of the entertainment industry in New Orleans and Louisiana. You two are among the biggest behind-the-scenes players in these businesses. And I've really enjoyed meeting you today and having an opportunity to introduce you to our Out to Lunch audience. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Thank guys. You. You're, you're great. They, uh, my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Andre Champagne, founder and CEO of Hollywood Trucks, and A.J. Nyland, a partner in Huku Entertainment. Uh, to find out more about Andre's movie trucks or A.J.'s festivals, follow the links on our sites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden, the much sought after Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Uh, Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. On itsneworleans.com, you can join our mailing list and keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen to past shows and get this show as a podcast on itsneworleans.com and www.no.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, era studio monitors, and more. More information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at presonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and www. WNO for itsneworleans.com and 89.9 FM WWNO. I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on Out to Lunch around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.